You're listening to the Alliant M&A Roundtable, providing insights and expertise on the unique risk management needs associated with private equity firms. Here is your host, Jonathan Gilbert. Thank you all very much for joining. We're, we're very excited here at Alliant to bring another M&A series podcast. And with me here today is Bill Nellen, Larry Shapiro, and myself, Jonathan Gilbert. I co-lead the M&A practice for Alliant. We're a team of nearly 50 people nationally and growing and work with private equity firms nationally. And last year, we certainly worked on over 200 deals. And collectively as a team, we've worked on you know, over 10,000 transactions. So there's not much we have not seen in the world of M&A and, and risk and things. That said, we, we always continue to be surprised, but we bring a lot of you know, knowledge and experience to you know, our, our clients, given that you know, a situation may not be identical to what we saw before, but we can pull from the experience we had previously and use similar avenues or similar solutions to again solve the problems to allow our clients to get the deals done. And I'll, I'll allow Bill and, and, and Larry Shapiro to introduce themselves in a second. What we're here to talk about is environmental risk in M&A transactions and how a buyer should, one, look at the risk when they're evaluating the company and the assumed liabilities from an environmental standpoint, and then two, how insurance in various forms can be a, a strategic tool to use to offset or mitigate or eliminate associated with known or unknown environmental conditions related to a target company or industry. Uh, but that, that is my long-winded intro, so why don't I turn it to Bill for an introduction of himself. Um, good to talk with everybody. Thanks for uh, tuning in today. We're here today to talk about hybridization between environmental risk, environmental insurance solutions, and our Alliant M&A practice. And I represent our Alliant Environmental Group. I lead the practice, but in essence, we um, represent across the country various exposures, various verticals, and work with the rest of our colleagues across the country relative to M&A exposure, redevelopment exposure, and frankly, just general real estate transactions. So in this context, We'd like to bifurcate this discussion into two parts and uh, relative to the M&A focus, when doing uh, due diligence, Alliance M&A Group will function as a consultant, another tool in your toolbox relative to your environmental consultants, your accountancy, your legal advisors. We will be another piece of that, both on the environmental risk and on the insurance more generally. And then the second piece will be relative to solutions and how we can both put together environmental uh, solutions, risk transfer solutions, as well as reps and warranties solutions, um, or both at the same time kind of working with each other in synergy to make sure that you get the broadest coverage and the best protection for your enterprise, both on a legacy basis and going forward to both uh, in the private equity sense to be uh, a good steward and a good uh, fiduciary for your investors and your partners, not exposing the funds to enterprise risk associated with something that's uncertain, not probable, not ex expected, and could be catastrophic to a business. We, as a practice um, at Alliant, have worked on uh, several billion dollars worth of transaction values in the last two to three years, and that results in 200 plus placements a year 
across our group, and a lot of those deal with transactional risk. Uh, John, can you focus just generally on uh, telling us a little bit about the M&A practice as it relates to due diligence and insurance due diligence and how what you do also interfaces with the environmental risk and, and the things that your clients are bringing to the table relative to what they've done on a uh, transactional environmental deal analysis. Yeah, th thanks, Bill. I'd be happy to. And, you know, a, a big part of our job uh, when we're advising clients on risk and risk associated with transaction you know, is to identify the assumed liabilities and where is the offsetting asset indemnity uh, or otherwise to protect that buyer for that, that assumed liability. And environmental is always a tricky one um, because Again, as I mentioned before, we're working on limited time, limited information. And so what we'll often do is review, you know, the environmental documents that are available in the data room or that are being completed by the buyer's third-party advisors, which will often be, you know, phase one reports or phase two report if it's a subsurface investigation or, or other, other documents that may be available. And what we're trying to identify is, you know, what, what is the known risk? You know, what's known to be in the ground that's a contaminant? what may be in the ground, and then two, you know, what operational risks does the target or company or, or seller have uh, that we need to be cognizant of and in, intertwine into the insurance program uh, on a go-forward basis, whether that's through a long-term pollution legal liability policy or otherwise. So as we look to assess, you know, the first part is, you know, what is, what is the operations of the business, you know, currently, and what is the site done historically, whether under the current ownership of the target or, or prior ownership uh, of the target. And certainly if the facility's owned or leased can help mitigate some liability, although we have seen leases where any legacy environmental uh, matters have been pushed to the, the leasee, uh, the company, as opposed to the lessor, which is odd, but you know, we have seen that and they've certainly crafted insurance solutions around that type of risk too. But to get back to your, your question generally, what we look to identify is, is again, just what, what could be out there from an environmental standpoint? What do we know that's in the ground from a contaminant standpoint? What could be in the ground based on the company's operations or neighboring uh, buildings that may you know, generate hazardous waste that migrates uh, down to our facility or the target's facility? And so you know, that, that's sort of step one. And then step two, as I mentioned, is you know, what is the offsetting asset indemnity or otherwise that protects the buyer if there is an unforeseen liability related to an environmental condition known or unknown at the time of signing. And there's a couple different areas to look at. You know, one is certainly the purchase and sale agreement. And oftentimes there'll be representations that are made by the seller that are related to environmental. Certainly environmental compliance, they have the right permits, they have you know, complied with their regulations on the activities, whether it's uh, you know, waste treatment or otherwise. Uh, but we also want to see, you know, what is this seller saying? Here's what we know is in the ground and everything else we're not aware of any potential issues. And that sort of second piece is the one that's always the concerning piece. You know, if, if they're not aware of something, you know, and it could be knowledge qualified, meaning the, the statement is only uh, supported based on what the seller knows or doesn't know. Or it could be what we say a flat rep where the seller representation, and it's based on, you know, what the seller doesn't know, uh, which, is, which helps the buyer certainly from a protection standpoint. And traditionally, that representation would be insured uh, under most of the transactions we work on 
under a rep warranty insurance policy. However, the rep warranty insurance policy will be only be as broad as the protection given in the rep representation. And, and the reason I bring that up is that oftentimes you'll see, you know, something to the effect of, except as disclosed on schedule X, Y, and Z, uh, we know of no environmental matters. Well, then schedule X, Y, and Z includes a list of a myriad of things, as well as reference to a variety of environmental reports that have been done historically. And those reports are often going to identify contaminants that are known to be in the ground. And if there are known contaminants in the ground, then it's likely going to be difficult for the buyer to say there's a breach of the rep if it's a disclosed known matter. It likely would not qualify as a breach. And that's where we oftentimes will see, you know, the buyer have a need for a separate insurance policy to augment what's available in the rep warranty insurance policy and really fill the holes that would exist from an environmental risk standpoint um, for that, those particular items that are known uh, or likely to be in the ground. Uh, and that's where really Bill and I will collaborate very closely, Bill being by far the environmental expert more than I am by any means. Uh, but nonetheless, that's where we'll, we'll look to put in place a traditional, um, arrange for a traditional environmental insurance policy uh, with, again, some creative solutions in there as well um, to solve the problem for the client. But Bill, what, why don't I ask you, you know, as we, as we work together on a number of these, you know, how do you see the pollution policy fitting together with what we're doing otherwise and, and what I kind of characterized, does that, does that seem appropriate? How would you sort of expand on that? Um, ultimately, I think you brought up some good points and we can kind of pivot on that, that we are participating with sometimes some limited data and certainly a limited time frame, and we have to work with what we have. Uh, we're not actually going out and visiting the sites. We're not, uh, don't have the purview to um, do sampling. So sometimes it could be as simple as environmental data reports as opposed to phase, full phase ones and full kind of um, all appropriate inquiry. So ultimately, and there may not be an environmental policy in place by the target. So ultimately, we will look to the data that exists, whether it be old phase ones, data reports, Google Earth shots, and make a submission to the insurance market with our advice and representing all the knowledge that our insured or our client knows and kind of craft the best solution because there are other mitigating factors out there. There are purchase price offsets, there are escrows, there are sites that might be held out of the deal because of known conditions. There may be existing insurance, there may be, um, to your point, there may be con contractual indemnities and all of those kind of have various risks and associated things that need to be, you need to kick the tires of those because there could be a counterparty credit risk relative to an indemnitor that's either a privately held LLC or a historic company who indemnified the uh, last owner operator, which may be a Fortune 500 company that, um, you know, could have fallen on hard times. So all those things are taken into consideration as well as whether or not we at Alliant and our team, including Larry Shapiro, um, is involved in the reps and warranties um, placement part. And maybe Larry can talk a little bit about reps and warranties insurance as it relates to environmental more generally. Uh, happy to be speaking with everybody on another podcast. This has been a great way to get some information, I think, out um, 
a little bit more broadly than we could customarily do. And I think it's just terrific to be able to have conversations with colleagues um, over issues that are clearly relevant to our clients. So uh, I joined Alliant um, within the last year, and uh, my role here is to head up our representations and warranties insurance team and do so obviously in concert with John and Bill and a variety of our other colleagues. So again, happy to be here and happy to be part of the conversation today. Hey, Larry, as I frame this conversation around um, the M&A consultancy due diligence process that we do initially relative to the environmental documents and insurance representations that the insureds make on the target, uh, also wanted to kind of lead into and have this solution based and talk a little bit more about how reps and warranties insurance and pollution legal liability insurance can be used in concert with each other. I think the audience could probably benefit from a little bit of a description of what reps and warranties insurance is intended to do and then kind of segue into how pollution liability insurance might help alleviate some of the underwriters concerns, uh, add to protections so that they can provide broader coverage or be kind of a, a third solution? Why don't we start at a higher level and then we can kind of narrow it down and talk about the application to environmental exposures. But as a general matter, representations and warranties insurance is intended to either supplement or replace what would be traditional seller indemnity in connection with an acquisition of a target. Uh, you know, customarily sellers will give representations and buyers will rely upon those representations in deciding to proceed ahead with a proposed acquisition. So what the representations and warranties insurance does is it essentially picks up the risk that there would be unknown breaches of the reps that they're being given by a seller and that they're relying on connection with their acquisition. So if we take that as a construct and then apply it to environmental exposures, what you'll see customarily is that buyers will receive a full suite of representations from sellers covering financial statements, covering fundamental type representations about a seller's ownership of the target and their authority to sell, but it'll also cover off, you know, specific exposures, whether they're regulatory exposures, employment related exposures, or, or as we're talking about here, environmental exposures. Oftentimes our clients are going to, depending on the industry of the target that they're acquiring, they could get some fairly robust representations regarding the environmental risk exposure at a target. And you would apply representations and warranties insurance to cover the unknown risk that any of the reps that they're getting have been breached. Yeah, that's a great construct. Um, and I, I would imagine to take into account, like you said, whether or not there's indemnities available, kind of contractual release. And you brought up a good point. I mean, I think I've tried to extol this elsewhere, but is that Compliance is only half of the puzzle relative to environmental risk. So you might be compliant and you might make representations that you have done everything that the regulators have required you to, but this is different. This is something that could be ultimately have a financial risk to your business, to your shareholders, to the overall transaction. And so you know, one piece of that obviously is compliance and doing the right thing. Uh, the other part is, you know, environmental is one of those black swan kind of things. And if you don't know about it, you can't just bury your head in the sand and say, hear no evil, speak no evil. And so it kind of takes it out of the realm, like some other risks, but we don't have time to go through those today, but that take it out of this kind of contractual construct and, um, 
might need uh, additional due diligence or might need an insurance solution that's um, separate. And maybe we can talk a little bit about how we've used pollution insurance to help reps and warranties insurers and clients get comfortable with deals. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great topic. I think, you know, along the lines of what you said about, you know, burying your head in the sand and, you know, a buyer's deployment of adequate due diligence. I think representation to warranties insurance, an underwriter is going to be primarily focused on avoiding a situation where a buyer is burying their head in the sand and just relying upon statements that a seller tells them. So they are going to look to due diligence that the buyers conducted to help bridge that gap there and get comfortable standing behind the representations that a seller is giving. And when you take a look at, you know, representations and warranties insurance on the one hand as one form of contractual risk transfer for environmental exposure and say pollution legal liability coverage on the other, what we've seen is that the two tend to be complementary approaches in putting a box around environmental risk. And in fact, I think uh, may rely upon at least some of the same base information in order to understand how best to underwrite those risks. At, at least on the transactional side, underwriters are reluctant to cover a naked rep, for lack of a better term. And they are going to need to see that a buyer's conducted adequate due diligence to prove out a seller's ability to give the reps that they're giving. And they also have very little intention to being primary with respect to environmental risk. I think representations of warranties insurers see environmental, I don't want to state it so affirmatively that, that they look at it in a binary fashion, but I think there are generally two buckets of environmental risks from a transactional insurance underwriter's perspective. One would be more or less core environmental exposures, and the other would be from a regulatory perspective, permitting and compliance. And I think each could have a direct effect and create a potential for loss to a buyer when or when acquiring a particular target. Our intent with the representations and warranties insurance is to make sure that the policy that we put in place would be responding to both. But that's going to be predicated on a buyer doing adequate diligence and oftentimes the target having adequate underlying environmental insurance in place. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the coolest part of what I do and what you do for clients is the kind of creativity aspect of it. And the tougher the risk, the more of the challenge is really exciting and kind of drives us as deal junkies. Ultimately, I look at those and maybe people who are listening to this like relate like I do, I'm more of an experiential learner, but some of the case studies recently, you know, th these deals can be several billion dollars, like we did a deal recently, which was a multi-billion dollar agricultural industry deal, all the way down to a $10 million deal that we did transaction value relative to a, um, a products liability type thing. So the exposures can be from, you know, ghost sites that the target has very limited knowledge of, or that knowledge may lie 20 years ago in operating sites that um, people don't have much understanding of what happened there, all the way to things that uh, people are using in their homes that may cause pollution conditions for which the, um, the new buyer doesn't want to take responsibility for because they just have very limited knowledge of. Uh, another one is kind of emerging contaminants. People have heard of PFOA, PFOS, these kind of recalcitrant chemicals that exist forever 
in and bioaccumulate. And, you know, there's a lot of fear and emotion around environmental risk and, and, and uh, companies that are operating as financial sponsors to deals and supporting high net worth individual or institutional investors do not want to get in the game of predicting what can be the next horrible thing on the horizon relative to environmental. And so we represented a construction target that made equipment that didn't want to be responsible for a ranger or generator liability for um, these kind of uh, next gen contaminants that may exist in disposal site liability. And those are things that reps and warranties and underwriters don't have a fear of in a realistic sense. And to kind of ring fence those, it makes sense to put those in a, in a coverage position where you're getting an, an affirmative standalone pollution liability uh, product. You know, Bill, to, to kind of complement what you just said, there's a kind of there's a pragmatic way of looking at it too. Representations of warranties insurance, as you know, it's been pretty active over the last number of years. And we at least explore insurance solutions across a variety of different industry classes. And so what emerges is we have highly capable and highly skilled underwriters, many of whom are former corporate lawyers with you know a deep set of knowledge, but generalists when you take a look at it from an industry perspective. And one of the things that they want to make sure is that they're not necessarily missing a particular risk or they're not thinking about the manner that somebody who is finely tuned to environmental exposures might look. So representations and warranties insurance are in many instances, the underwriters are in many instances willing to defer to the more finely tuned focus of an environmental underwriter who has you know specific expertise in that area. So to the extent that you've got an underlying environmental coverage, and that coverage focuses on particular areas, those underwriters may just be better suited for assessing that risk than the more generalist reps and warranties insurance underwriters. Yeah, I mean, how can you be an expert on gap accounting, HIPAA, CERCLA, Superfund site liability, everything EPLI related, other than if you're Larry Shapiro? So. <laughs> and I think I can hear the laughter of everybody. In, in <laughs> but true, I think pragmatically, Insurers will hire counsel that will help them, and counsel will have specialists assist. But at the very end of the day, there's probably a more appropriate home for that risk. And that home is, um, at least in this instance, um, dedicated standalone environmental coverage. Guys, that was great. I think we had a great lively discussion here today. I hope everyone on the line appreciated the time and uh, look forward to seeing you again on our next podcast. Uh, for more information, please visit Alliant at www.alliant.com. Thank you and have a good day.